Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Whether you need to restock the fridge or just have a sudden, intense craving for cheese puffs, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. From groceries to household items, Kroger delivers right to your door. So don't let one major craving have you reaching for your car keys. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery times not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Cinema Gold Podcast with your host, Larry Lease. Come join us as Cinema Gold dives into the latest Hollywood films and news. Welcome to the Cinema Gold Show. I'm your host, Larry Lease. Today we're diving into the latest box office news from around the industry, as well as giving our reviews of the latest episodes of The Bad Batch, Mighty Ducks and Game Changers, as well as our review of the recently released Army of the Dead on Netflix. So let's begin with the latest box office news. The domestic box office isn't going to get interesting until next weekend when Paramount's A Quiet Place Part 2 and Disney's Cruella drops and launches the start of the summer season. From that point on, we largely won't have any weekends where the major studios are taking a break from releasing wide entries, which was the case this weekend as Lionsgate Spiral from the Book of Saw repeats in its second week with $1.38 million on Friday, with an expected running total of $15.8 million. The second weekend for Spiral sees a 48% decline at nearly 3,000 theaters, which is actually pretty good for a horror movie, which in pre-pandemic times can drop to minus 60% or greater. However, these are still low numbers. Lionsgate is exclaiming that Spiral, even in its most minimal grosses here, is putting the entire franchise over one billion through nine films. The sequel is executive produced by longtime collaborator Daniel J. Hefner, who is the EP of the Soft franchise. Spiral earned 2.67 million from 21 offshore territories, taking its global Total to 22.5 million. All the action this weekend is overseas, where Universal's F9 is heading to 162.4 million this weekend in eight markets, and being explosive in China, where it's the second biggest opener for the studio and the fast franchise, with 135.6 million. F9 parks itself at U.S. theaters on June 25th. 
Spiral should ultimately hit 30 million at the domestic box office. In addition, Funimation Demon Slayer has officially become the second highest grossing anime film at the domestic box office behind Warner Brothers' 1999 film Pokemon and overtaking 2000's Pokemon 2 with 43.956 million through Friday. The feature ranked 6th this weekend with 1.33 million in its 5th frame, declined 32%, with a running total of 44.9 million by today at 1,800 locations. Godzilla vs. Kong at nearly 2,500 theaters made 1.4 million in its 8th week for a running total of 96.9 million in 5th place. Heading into summer, we're still not at a level, level where the entire U.S. Canadian exhibition infrastructure is open, with currently 4,000 theaters out of 5,888,000 with lights on. Some of those in the distribution circles will argue that the domestic marketplace is already oversaturated. However, it truly does hurt not having Canada entirely online, with major provinces Alberta, Manitoba, and Ontario repeatedly closed until early July. The country typically represents north of 7% of the domestic box office. However, when you look at the bright side, 96% of the number two chain Regal is open, with 500 locations online, and 20 sites permanently closed. Number one, AMC counts 590 theaters open and 50 permanently closed, while number three chain Cinemark has 316 theaters in full operations with only 20 fully closed. Maryland has lifted all capacity restrictions for theaters and the nation's capital will follow on June 11th and Massachusetts will follow next weekend. This weekend, capacity restrictions were lifted in New York City, but social distancing rules still apply at six feet. Local native officials are lobbying for at least three feet in the near future as mask rules stay in effect. Number two for the weekend was MGM and United Artists Guy Ritchie movie, Wrath of Man, with the third Friday of 818 K decline at 22% at 3,007 locations with a three day total of 2.9 million. The film is headed for 25 million stateside. Warner Brothers gave a theatrical release to its animated pick Scoob, which was scheduled to hit theaters a year ago today, but was sidelined to HBO Max then because of the pandemic. The directed animated feature made 850k at 2500 theaters. Other highlights from this weekend, Bleecker Street and Topic Studios' Tony Collette drama Dream Horse made its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival last year and has grossed 260k on Friday at only 1300 theaters. On its way to a reported 
running total of 844.2k for a 673 theater average. And that is our look at the box office. And now we will give you our review of the bad match. Warning, this episode review contains spoilers. The clones of the Bad Batch are low on food and fuel, but it's a more exotic problem that meets them on the planet Pantora, a cool and competent bounty hunter. Cornered is an action-heavy episode directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Christian Taylor. Brings more of the same to the Bad Batch. This might end up being a make-or-break episode for some. We're really into the plot now, the threats and relationships established. The bond between the clones, or Hunter and Omega specifically, has to work at this point, and I'm so-so on whether it does. The rapid-fire pace means there isn't a lot of time for all that to sink in, and a B-plot involving Echo being sold as if he's a droid feels especially surface-level. After they land on Pantora to stock up, the clones begin to see how poorly they're suited for civilian life. That's Pantora from The Clone Wars. They don't have anything to sell except an explosive, which naturally raises some red flags for the shopkeeper. Meanwhile, they're also dealing with a corrupt docking official who calls in bounty hunter Fennec Shan to capture Omega. In the back half of the episode, everything comes together in a neat but not revolutionary interlocking way as Fennec and Omega dash through the city. Fennec was cool in the Mandalorian. She's cool here. One gives her a mixture of intimidation and warmth that makes the character feel alive. I left at her delivery of tuck and roll when you land, kid. A deadpan but useful warning as Omega takes a long fall. Shan sets herself apart from other Star Wars bounty hunters. She doesn't have the gringiness of a Boba Fett or the slickness of Ventress, but instead exists somewhere in between. Almost as if a live-action character was ported to animation, which of course she was. Despite that, her appearance isn't jarring. Maybe it's just because she's a female bounty hunter or because Ventress voice actor Gray Griffin Appears in a minor role as a prim protocol droid, but this episode did remind me a lot of Ventress's appearances in the Clone Wars as an acrobatic bounty hunter who looks at home in a grungy city. This episode isn't interested in the details of Shan's life during this time period. However, we don't know much more about her now than we did after the Mandalorian. Often that's okay, but Fennec... <coughs> doesn't have quite enough personality in the script to keep her from feeling a bit like she's floating on top of the rest of the story. Even assuming she's working for the Kaminoans, trying to get the clones back to rejuvenate their supply of DNA, it doesn't really answer the question of way of why she's doing this job. The action is classic fun, showcasing Omega's mix of fear and resource resourcefulness. The fight travels really nicely up and down throughout different levels and neighborhoods of the city. The city obviously has distinct zones. Look at the difference between the flower-draped minarets, the middle-class shopping district, and bars, and the dirty alleys and maintenance tunnels. With the exception of a brief knife fight, it's 
all pretty pretty typical cartoon jumping from rooftop stuff. Which isn't bad, but didn't get my heart rate going either. The lighting is gorgeous, almost edging over into realism. Hunter and Omega remain the heart of the show. I wanted to approach this episode with less laser focus on dialogue than I usually have. Since so much of the storytelling is visual, so what can we tell about their unspoken bond? Cornered shows how far Hunter is willing to go for Omega, and I really like the moment where Omega realizes she's suddenly in the middle of a standoff between him and Fennec. While she previously trusted Fennec, she doesn't hesitate for a second to take Hunter's side. But the whole time I found myself wondering why this doesn't work as well as Din Djarin and Grogu. I know I said I wouldn't compare the two shows excessively, but Fennec's presence makes the connection more explicit. Omega, being human, means she's more than the careful, bizarre Grogu, less surprising. Sometimes when it comes to the father-daughter archetype, less is more. In a previous episode of the Cinema Gold Show, I asked to see more of what the show has planned for Echo, the formerly red clone modified against his will by the Separatists. Oddly enough, Echo is actually the easiest one of the batch to disguise on Pantora. His prosthetic arm making him a good fit for a droid costume. The bit is funny with Hunter selling Echo to a merchant with the plan being for the clone to walk out as soon as the shop owner's back is turned. But it also feels like a missed opportunity for characterization. Isn't anyone slightly uncomfortable about the idea of selling a human? Star Wars always swerves just as it's about to make a point about either slavery or whether droids are people. Take a look at Anakin Skywalker. Here, it continues to do so. By the end of the episode, the team is pretty much back to status quo. I assume they must have picked up fuel in order to leave the planet, but the food situation still won't be to Wrecker's liking. The major thing that actually happened in this episode is the clone's realization that it's not only the official Empire that's looking for them. Fennec is ready to scour the rest of the galaxy for them too. As for the broader galaxy, there's more here about how happy people are here to hear that the war is over. The celebrating Pantorans don't know they're cheering for an end to one war and the beginning of another endless one. This episode I give a 3 out of 5 stars. Wasn't great, wasn't bad, it was alright. And of course, now on to our next topic. Episode 9 of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. The penultimate episode of season one of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers starts with Evan working on a plan to fire his mom, Alex, as team coach. Nick calls him to give him the push he needs to go through with the firing. Alex is packing for their trip to the state championship when Evan fires her. But he does invite her to come as just a mom and cheer from the sidelines. She chooses to stay at home and work instead to give Evan his space and jokingly tells him not to take a bath in a hotel, trying to lighten the mood in a difficult conversation. The don't bothers load up their trip, uh, load up their bus for the road trip to the state championship with Bombay stepping up to be in charge of the team. 
That night, there was a party for all the teams before their first game the next day. On the road, Maya brought supplies for a girls' weekend at the back of the bus. While Evan talks to the boys about asking Sophie to, his, to be his date to the party. He gets advice from his teammates to help prepare him for taking the leap. So he texts Sophie to see about going to the dance together. When she gets a text, Maya pushes Sophie to keep it a girls' weekend. So Sophie replies with princess emojis and a promise to see him there. Alex is at work, taking extra time to get caught up and overhears Stephanie yelling on the phone in her office. As the team arrives at the state championships, Evan is spinning out over Sophie's casual text. Sophie and Lauren are all set for the girls' weekend, but Maya ditches them for a boy named Xander, almost the moment they arrive. The Ducks arrive, and Coach T says they only have one hour at the party, as they must get up early in the morning for a run. He is serious about pushing the Ducks to another championship victory. Then he dismisses his team and runs into Coach Bombay and tries to trash talk him. Bombay won't engage, and his tactics confuse Coach T, especially when Bombay implies that he's playing mind games with the younger Ducks coach. Nick and the boys are at the merchandise table loading up on tournament swag, while Sophie stresses about the text she sent to Evan. Lauren suggests that she just tell Evan that she wants to go to the party with him, so she plucks up the courage. Evan is being interviewed by Mary Jo for her ongoing Don't Bother podcast when he pauses the interview to ask for advice on girls. Mary Jo under- misunderstands this, thinking he is asking her to the dance, which she accepts enthusiastically and gives him a hug. Sophie witnesses this, and Mary Jo bounds away before Evan can clarify. At the office, Stephanie opens up to Alex and shares that she and Clark are getting a divorce. And she admits that she's not perfect. She talks about how they are all unhappy and falling apart, because they always have to push things too far with their competitive natures. She also admits that she envies Alex and the relationship she has with Evan. Stephanie asks why Alex isn't at the state championship, and Alex explains that she was fired and sent Evan alone. Stephanie proposes they share a bottle of wine to blow off some steam. The Don't Bothers arrive at the party, and Nick confronts Evan about Mary Jo. Apparently he had a secret crush on her, and he pushes Evan to be a proper date for Mary Jo, to protect her from heartbreak. Putting her happiness over his own, Lauren watches on as girls from other teams get along while she's all alone. Maya does drop by to talk to her, but only to say that the boy she met is perfect for her before running off back to him. Evan sees Sophie come to the party with Trevor, a player from the Ducks, and Sophie and Evan end up on the dance floor with their dates trying to make each other jealous. At the hotel bar, Coach T approaches Bombay when he's stopped by one of the Ducks' parents who pushes Coach T for a win and insists his son has plenty of ice time. Bombay offers a sympathetic ear to Coach T, which prompts Coach T to ask to sit with Bombay for a bit and help give him a break from his players' parents. Back at the dance, things aren't going so well for Maya and Xander. They bring things off while Evan is trying to balance not upsetting Nick with making Sophie jealous while dancing with Mary Jo. Logan gives Nick a prep talk while Maya complains about Xander to Lauren, who is not interested and tries to give Maya a pep talk. At the bar, Coach T shares stories about the ridiculous behavior of Duck's parents he's had to endure. Coach T compliments Bombay's Zen nature, 
in Bombay, it's his backstory about how he broke NCAA recruitment rules, and Coach T said he would have done the same. While at the office, Stephanie and Alex are playing around and letting off some steam. Alex is ready to leave, but Stephanie wants to avoid going home, so Alex offers to stay with her and continue having fun. Alex and Stephanie passed out at the office the previous night, and Alex wakes up to a phone call from Evan, explaining that Bombay may not be allowed to coach because Coach T ratted out its NCAA history to AYHA. So Evan calls Alex to help with Bombay's hearing to appeal his case in front of a panel of three AYHA representatives. Stephanie says she's going to drive her there. At the hearing, Bombay learns that the AYHA is NCAA certified, and therefore his coaching ban technically applies in this situation. But they give him a chance to state his case. Coach T and Don't Bother Us watch on as Bombay explains that he did make mistakes years ago. But he found this team and helped guide them to this point. He says it's not fair to them to lose their coach and their chance to play because of Bombay's history. He then explains that the importance of coaching comes from the potential to change and grow. The AYHA says while his words and commitment to the players is beautiful, he is not allowed to coach in the tournament. The Don't Bothers are livid and yell at the panel in protest as Alex bursts in and claims to be Bombay's lawyer. She explains that the coaches here have to be approved by the NCAA because the players are NCAA prospects, student-athletes. She explains that the Don't Bothers were never scouted, and therefore, under the specific guidelines of the AYHA, the Don't Bothers don't meet the definition of student-athletes. So Bombay's ban doesn't technically apply. The panel reverses the decision, and Bombay is allowed to coach in the tournament. Back on the team bus, Evan and Sophie meet for a talk, where Evan apologizes and explains that his feelings were hurt when she said she didn't want to go to the dance with him. Sophie says she is sorry too, and Evan admits that he likes her and reveals he saved the photos from their fight in the photo booth. The episode ends with the bus pulling up at the rink for the first state championship game. And now, our final topic, our review of Army of the Dead on Netflix. The zombie heist thriller Army of the Dead is Zack Snyder at his best. Snyder reigned in its worst impulses in this entertaining twist on a zombie apocalypse. A team of mercenaries ventures into zombie-infested Las Vegas in hopes of recovering millions in cash from a casino vault. In the zombie heist horror thriller from Zack Snyder, Army of the Dead. It's a stylish mix of zombie land and Ocean's Eleven with a sprinkling of the Dirty Dozen. While Snyder's distinctive directorial style is plainly evident, he has reigned in his worst impulses to give us a clever, entertaining twist on the zombie apocalypse, featuring all the flesh-eating carnage one expects from the genre. With this film, Snyder has come full circle. His directorial debut in 2008, Dawn of the Dead, was an entertaining reboot of the original classic from 1978. 
Army of the Dead started out as a joint project between Universal and Warner back in 2007. But like so many films, it got stuck in development hell until Snyder signed on as director in 2019. Netflix then picked up distribution rights from Warner Brothers soon after. This is pretty much a suicide mission. And it's not giving much away to say that there's a very high body count. And the team suffers its share of casualties, some predictable, others less so. I mean, you just know Rossi's swaggering creepy security guard is going to get his payback. The moment Lily recruits him for the mission. There are rules, and Cummings has cannon fodder written all over him. The ensemble cast all turn in solid performances, including Purnell. Despite Kate being one of the least interesting characters, those familiar with Samantha Wynn's stunt work and martial arts skills will enjoy watching her fearlessly take on a horde of zombies single-handedly. Hardwick and Schweighofer forge a believable, reluctant bond between the zombie-killing machine Vanderhoe and the nerdy, nervous Dieter, despite their very different personalities. Also a standout, despite having no lines, Valentine the Zombie Tiger. Nataro replaced comedian actor Chris Delea, I think, late in the project on the heels of a number of sexual misconduct allegations against the comedian. This required Nataro to reshoot some scenes with an acting partner last September, which were then inserted into the film. Snyder told the media that the decision actually cost Netflix millions, since it also required the digital erasure of the comedian actor from footage and visual effects to integrate Nataro into those scenes, opposite her co-stars. There have been some criticisms regarding the sheer length of Army of the Dead. I admit, when I saw the two and a half uh, hour runtime, I asked myself, do we really need that much time to tell a zombie heist story? The answer, absolutely. There are lots of characters and moving pieces to track. And for the most part, things move along briskly with only occasional forays into those super slow shots Snyder loves so much. They work well in this context and don't add much to the running time. The more introspective scenes flesh out the characters and give viewers a bit of a breather from the otherwise non-stop action. And the running gags and wisecracks add a welcome touch of levity. Plus, you just can't rush the suspenseful build-up as the team maneuvers their way around a minefield of temporarily dormant zombies. There's already a prequel film, Army of Thieves, in post-production focusing on the character Ludwig Dieter, with Schweighofer both starring and directing. It's set in the early stages of the zombie outbreak that makes up the opening backstory montage of Army of the Dead. Filming wrapped last December, and Netflix plans to release it later this year. Also in development is an anime-inspired prequel TV series, Army of the Dead, Las Vegas, which we'll learn more about Scott's origin story. Batista, Purnell, Nataro, and Hardwick are all returning to voice their respective characters for the six-episode series. Netflix and Snyder are clearly hoping to launch a successful franchise with Army of the Dead. And if the director brings the same touch to those projects, I think they'll succeed. And you can catch Army of the Dead on Netflix or 
in a uh, local theater. And that's all we have for today's episode of the Cinema Gold Show. Thanks for watching. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for supporting this show. Visit pondex.com and use the promo code CINEMAGOLD for 10% off your first purchase. You can follow us on Twitter at CINEMAGOLDSHOW and on Instagram at the Cinema Gold Show. Find us on Facebook and let us know your thoughts about the topics we covered in the comments section below. Be sure to give this video a thumbs up and hit that like and subscribe button. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for watching Cinema Gold Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema Gold 2. Become a patron on our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinema gold. Send us a voice message and be featured on an upcoming episode through anchor.fm slash cinema gold. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.